Hi, I'm Abby, and this is We Have Notes, a podcast for the pop culture obsessed and the people who love them. First things first, before we dive into all these things, I jotted down so many notes. Um, announcement. Andrew Garfield is a Grease 2 stan. So thank you to Jarrett Weisselman on uh, Twitter, who's one of my Twitter friends, for this absolutely glorious information. He tweeted a clip of Andrew talking about how much he loves Grease 2, naming, naming songs, recognizing the obviously problematic nature of let's do it for our country, because you know, my fellow Agar is obviously a consent king. You know, he loves Michelle Pfeiffer on that ladder doing Cool Rider too. Of course he does because he is a smart and wonderful man. And as Jarrett said, didn't think I could love him more. And here you go. Um, my friend Courtney Dunlop, who did the podcast episode where we spent the entirety of the episode basically arguing our point that Greece 2 is superior to Greece. Uh, you can listen to that episode. Anyway, she, she said, oh, we're a movement. And I think we are a movement. And I am proud to be a part of this movement. I've been a part of this movement for decades. So has Courtney. So have numerous of our other friends. And we're glad to have Andrew Garfield as a part of it. Um, also, it snowed in Pasadena this week, which uh, you probably saw some clips and things on Twitter. And Erica Jane did say, as part of her many, many webs of stories that didn't make sense about some snow in Pasadena, and we all were like, what? And I guess it is possible. Now, I don't know if it actually snowed when she said it snowed, because I feel like I would have seen things about that. I have um, friends who live in Pasadena. But it did snow there um, on Tuesday, so, I mean, Andy Cohen even did a, a his mazel of the day on, on Watch What Happens Live about it. So, you know, just saying, I guess it is possible. I don't know if, you know, people's cars keep flipping eight times like her son and, and Tom Girardi and whatever. But at least that part of the story might have been true. So, all right, Erica Jane, there you go. You get one point. Um, I will be right back with more on the Super Bowl and things I'm watching and reading and all that good stuff. So stay tuned. So the Super Bowl obviously was on Sunday, which now feels like a hundred years ago, but we're still going to talk about it, of course. Because I am a sports girl and a pop culture girl and a Joe Burrow girl, as we know. So Joe, unfortunately, did not win the Super Bowl. But I did appreciate the absolute barrage of texts that I got in the lead up to the, you know, kind of the pregame coverage and then seeing him on the field in his uniform with the helmet off, seeing those eyes, seeing his vibe, seeing his swagger. Everyone was texting me like, oh, I see now. Oh, I get it now. Oh, he's really hot. Oh, he's really cute. One of my friends got a text from her mother about Joe Burrow. Like he spans generations. And his legend is just beginning. He is young. You know, he was he was born uh, when I was studying abroad in Australia, as I said. 
in my column, Your Guide to Being Horny for Joe Burrow. So he's got a long career ahead of him. Now, I will caveat that by saying his legend is going to be strong and long, but his team needs to buy him an offensive line. We need an O-line for Joe Burrow. That boy is getting, I mean, again, Aaron Donald was on the other side of the field or on the other side of the line of scrimmage, and he is the best player in football and, you know, great. But, like, this man was getting destroyed all season long, running for his life back there, doing everything he can, still got his team to the Super Bowl. But I think as any Indianapolis Colts fan will tell you, you can have a phenomenally generational talent of a quarterback who is sturdier than most. And by the way, I think we now know that Joe did sprain his MCL during that game. I think you'll remember if you watched the game where he got like tangled up, but you know, he wasn't quite the same, but he was going to finish the game, obviously. Anyway, uh, Andrew Luck was that quarterback here in Indianapolis. We were very lucky to follow up Peyton Manning with Andrew Luck. And then we didn't get that guy in O-line and he got destroyed physically. And he was a sturdy, he wasn't a breakable guy. But that's how bad our offensive line was. And like, I mean, his like liver got punctured. Like all these things were happening to the point that that man in the prime of his career just was like, I'm retiring. I remember exactly where I was where that when that happened. Uh, my friend Bailey will remember if she's listening to this because she was with me and I like screamed and it was terrible. But I mean, good for Andrew for taking care of himself. But like that's, you know, football is a very violent game. I understand why a lot of people don't watch it. But, like, get get him protection. Always use protection, you know? But congrats to the Rams. There's a lot of great stories there, too. Like, as I said, Cooper Cup was the MVP of the championship, the Grape Ballers championship team, Riggins Riggs. That's my team, obviously named for Tim Riggins' business with his brother um, on Friday Night Lights. So, you know, I I've, I felt connected to that team too but anyway it was fun obviously it was rife with celebrities it was in LA and it's the Super Bowl the Super Bowl is always rife with celebrities but when you're in Los Angeles so you know we have Ben Affleck awkward dancing that's going to be a gift forever Ben but you know live your life live your life Maddie D his BFF and a mustache that I can only assume is for a film I hope is for a film We've got Jay-Z being an Instagram dad for Blue who's coming over to like approve content. We love it. But then he's like rocking out with B in the suite, you know, to songs he helped write in the halftime show. Like it's we we love it. There's Martha Stewart. You got the Biebers with Kendall and Devin. You know, everyone was there. Now, obviously, the halftime show was an absolute fucking banger. I went hard on my couch, like so many other awkward white ladies. Um, I think I'm vaguely less awkward than some, but definitely still very awkward. Um, This turns into a whole thing on the internet, like Gen X v. Millennials. Millennials are like, this was ours. Gen X is like, not really. We don't really want to get into it. The last thing we want to do is get into a fight, but like, calm down. You don't own everything in culture. You're mad when Jazeez thinks you're old. You're mad when we think something is Gen X. But there are people who were in high school and college when The Chronic came out, and there are people who were not, and those are just facts. But Gen X, like, we do not want to have a fight. But what I will say is that halftime show is was proof that, like, you guys, we've got it handled, babies. We are here. We are doing it. We have, we just go about our business a little more quietly than others. You know, 
But like the people on that stage save Kendrick, who was looking fly as fuck in um, Louis Vuitton is Virgil Abloh's like last collection for Louis. Like those are Gen X people, period. Okay. Now that doesn't mean all the music came out when we were in high school, but like those are just, it's fine. But again, we don't need to get into a fight. We just have some shit handled and now you know. And I love, I kind of, I think about this all the time when I see things targeted at us and I know it means we're old and like have disposable income and whatnot. But it also, I think, means we're in charge of more things now and green lighting things. And when I see shows about middle-aged women and things, I'm like, oh gosh, we're finally in charge of some stuff. But regardless, any, and, and again, the music is for everyone. That's the great thing. If you love the music, you love the music. And the music was fucking awesome. The stages were amazing. I It still boggles my mind that they like build all of that in like a commercial break, basically, in a partial halftime show, you know, like a studio show about the football. Um, it was incredible. Everyone can get it on that stage, except maybe 50. Sorry, Fofty. Um, honestly, as much as I love Into Club, and that was, it was fun, and I loved that they like, did it like the video and whatever, which again, like some youths are like, why is he upside down? And someone said like, oh, Winter Mitchell, my friend was like, yeah, like do some research. Just like Google is right there. We didn't always have Google, but you have Google. Like it's literally how he was, as she said, introduced to the world. Um, I, I might've cut 50 and given Kendrick a little more time, but it doesn't matter. It, it was seamless. It was perfect. Snoop looked amazing. Mary J looked amazing. Dre looked amazing. Eminem looks hot. At Mary J's hair, I can't like Gwen and my friend Gwen and I were so excited because we love extremely, extremely long hair. She just, I mean, she, everyone sounded great. Like Snoop doing his little dance. Like it, again, just everything was wonderful. I don't know if anything will top prince in the rain for me because that's also when my colts won the super bowl but like this is top tier and i would allow any argument that's for someone thinking it's like the best halftime show it was so good it was so 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 good again nothing anyone hasn't said already a thousand times on the internet but you know if they would like to go on the road with this show please do i will earmark many dollars that are not already set aside for like Harry Taylor, Haim, and Stevie to make sure I'm there. I, you know, I'm there. I'm there. I also loved there was this tweet, you may have seen it, that was basically like, if Tupac didn't show up for this, I think it's it's official. You know, he's dead. And I think that's a fair argument to make. Um, I also think like the combination of like the halftime show music hearing like the Sopranos, like the full Sopranos theme, which absolutely has like a visceral effect on my body to this day. And like the original Law and Order, like dun dun. Like I think those things combined have given us a cultural reset, the likes of which we don't fully understand yet. But like in a good way. Like Sam Watterson is coming back into our lives. Jack McCoy is coming back into our lives. Like, you know, Hearing that soprano song, even though I could, you could listen to it anytime you want, but just like, oh, it was so good, you know, so good. As for the other ads that are still kind of in my head a few days later, 
you know, of course, I, I hated the the Mayo ad um, with Pete Davidson because both of those are things that I would never, ever, ever uh, want or allow in my mouth. Um, anyone who knows me knows that I feel that way about mayonnaise. And if you've talked to me any old time, you probably know I feel that way about Pete Davidson, who I don't really understand. Um, the The bouncing QR code for 60 seconds enjoyed it. I was just the right amount of stoned to be absolutely mesmerized and watch it the entire time, but definitely not like click to see what it was about because from the jump, I was like, this is about crypto or something. Um, and I am nothing if not averse to scams. No matter how many famouses try to tell me about it, get the fuck out of here with your NFTs and your crypto. I don't care about your bored ape. I do not care Larry David, you don't need that money, Larry David. You really had to do that ad? Like, nah. However, I will watch Zendaya do anything, including sell seashells by the seashore for Squarespace. Fine. She can do anything she wants. Get that bag, Zendaya. I do not care at all about Lord of the Rings prequel, whatever that show is. I've I've never seen a Lord of the Rings movie. Um, nor read the books. And I do not care about Jurassic Park. I have seen the first movie, I guess, because like everyone did, but I've barely watched any of the other ones and also didn't read the book. Um, But I'm really excited for everyone who was pumped about that stuff. Like, yay, people were really excited about that. And I get it. It's just not, it's not my thing. Um, Certainly felt, as I said, like targeted as a... Gen Xer and an old um, that has enough money to like buy shit like electric cars. And I know they're coming for us. Like the music uh, in all these ads, the, the tone, everything. It, it was very much, I kept thinking like of a classic Gen X movie from our youth, The Goonies, when he's like, it's our time down here, but like for capitalism, <laughs> like, you know, okay, but it is. Um, I also over the weekend read Chuck Klosterman's Neil uh, Chuck Klosterman's new book, The Nineties, um, which felt appropriate for all of this conversation, and I would totally recommend it. I enjoyed it. I enjoy most of Chuck Klosterman's books. Um, there are always like some chapters that strike me more than others, and some that I am like, nah. Um, but I generally like going back in time and reexamining things. Duh. It's kind of what we do around here a lot in, in a different tone, I guess, than what Chuck usually does in his books. But, um, you know, thinking about how the past gets mis- misremembered in different ways all the time, but how the Internet has like really changed that. And he, he looks into that like really deeply through myriad lenses and how even people who lived it think about the decade that, you know, that like defined, it certainly defined me as I talk about, like, it's like my four high school years, my four college years and my first two years as an adult out of college in New York City. And so many people I think who listen to that show, the show find ourselves in some version of that. I think there's a lot of elder millennials and Gen Xers listening to this show, but like, the internet has kind of the everything that has happened since almost makes us forget what it felt like at the time and 
you know, and even when we do remember, we're like, no, but it didn't feel like that then. Like that's like kind of a running motif, but it didn't feel like that then. And then that's the truth. Um, but but honestly, if you're going to have a book that takes like a, a fairly academic lens to talking about things like Zima and Crystal Pepsi and Tab Clear and Titanic and Kid A and Tupac and Alanis and Liz Fair and Bikini Kill and the idea of selling out, which still runs so deep in all of our veins and studs, studs, you guys, studs, studs was so important <laughs> for a while. Uh, Nirvana, natural born killers, self-indulgent geniuses, landlines, like the trust you had to put into like people and like going where they said they were going to go and doing what they said they were going to do or meet Joe Black, Tyson Holyfield, the ear bite, the Y2K panic, like all of those things like are going to make me happy to read about. So I would recommend uh, Chuck's book. And I will be right back with more non-Super Bowl and vaguely not specific Gen X news. Okay, so one thing that I have been asked about a lot lately that I don't think I've really talked about very much in the newsletter or here is the constantly evolving Kim, Kanye, Julia, Fox, Pete Davidson situation. And I will say that I have mostly stayed out of talking about this anywhere because I low-key hate everything about it. Um, It's just... But what I will what I will add is that Kanye's behavior toward Kim and by extension Pete is really disturbing to me and I think frankly dangerous. And I am a person who who likes Kim. I'm not into Pete, but I don't I don't think you need to like either of them uh, to think that it's that like this public abuse, I think it's abuse is not cool and kind of scary. And I feel really badly for the situation that she and the kids are in. And I think it shows that you can have all the money in the world and it doesn't insulate you from someone's um, abusive behavior. And I can only imagine what is going on that we aren't seeing because of what he is showing us that he, that we are seeing. And, the cycle of abuse and apology is really fucked up. It makes me really uncomfortable. You know, he's saying all these things and then he's like, oh, I realize I shouldn't be talking in all caps and I'm trying to work on my behavior. You know, he's posting screenshots of texts from Kim, like saying, this is scary. Um, and I don't, it's, it's not fun and it's not funny to me. And like, I just wish like some sort of peace for everyone involved and, I don't know. It's so icky, like that part of it. And and I know like Netflix just dropped the first part of the Kanye trilogy, Genius. I, I'm going to watch it, but like I, I haven't watched it and I'm not in a huge hurry about it. But um, what I will say is if you wanted to dig more into like the Julia Fox of it all, like that's actually where something kind of from a cultural anthropological point of view might might be interesting to some I'm not saying it's interesting to everyone I'm like a little eye rolly on the whole thing but what I will say 
it's like she knows she she knows what she's doing here. And I mean, in case you missed it, like they have, quote unquote, broken up. If you want to call whatever they were doing in the first place, a relationship. I mean, it was a relationship. I don't think it was like a. I think it was a transactional relationship in many ways. But um, I think she knew what she was doing going into this scenario. Julia Fox is like a fixture, like kind of like the New York club kid, like downtown, Lower East Side, East Village kind of fixture who's like been doing art and writing and acting and da 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 and all these things and being in a creative collective or like whatever kind of shit. This is like a very, there's a, this is a kind of New York person. And if you have lived in New York, you are aware of the, pro- you have probably been in proximity to, to people like this. Um, and I think like she has come out of this whole thing, like exactly as she wanted, like a lot more famous, she has said, like, I'm not crying over this man. Like, I, why don't you see me as the, like, number one hustler that I am? And frankly, like, I, I like that point of view in some ways more than just pretending, like, like she's, she's kind of cutting through the facade of it all, you know? And she is just a genre of person that has existed in the city forever and whatever, you know? Um, I mean, of course, I am mildly haunted by the the audio clip that I was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote Uncut Jams. You know, if you haven't heard it, like you can Google that and hear the actual audio or go on TikTok or whatever. Um, There is a New York mag piece this week by Hunter Harris on Julia Fox. That's like complete with a photo shoot by Jurgen Teller of it's Fox and some of the members of her. I just keep calling it her like quote unquote creative entourage. Um, I mean, if you like, it's, it's a definitely an interesting read and Hunter is a great writer. If you don't read her regularly, I highly recommend. She has a great newsletter on Substack too. Um, she's so funny. She's a great follow on Twitter. Um, she's awesome. I hope someday I can have her on this podcast. I would like to just, I don't know her, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to reach out. Um, but like, here's some things that I pulled out of the story that I think can be interesting. I also think it's totally fine to just be like, I never want to know a single thing about Julia Fox. I think that's like a very highly valid stance. But she says like, quote, I never wanted to be super mega famous. It's a life ender for some celebrities. They become reclusive and paranoid and hide. I refuse not to live authentically, which is very much something someone like Julia Fox would say. I don't know what authentically means to her, but you know, it is what it is. Um, Then she said like, when our paparazzi photos were leaked, there was just such interest. I was kind of like, okay, I'll tell you. I wasn't being like hush-hush celebrity. Celebrities are not that fucking important. You can tell us about your stupid fucking date. We're in a pandemic. Give people something to talk about. Do your fucking service. Do your job. Now, I don't know that I'm like, do your service. But I think there's something very interesting and true in there. Like, just like, yeah. So I told him about the day. And again, it served her. But I, I think that's like a more... It's very pointed, but can kind of honest uh, take on celebrity that I I don't totally disagree with. But um, I don't again, I don't think it's like you are you owe people something when you're a celebrity. But I think I don't know. There's there's something very I guess I would say like not even agree with, but like there's something very discussable about what she's saying there. And then I saw like this very hilarious tweet that this was like using that quote as like this was what uh, Ana de Armas said to pump up Ben for their 2020 pap box, and that made me giggle. More on those two in a second. Um, 
I also loved this quote. This was this is Hunter writing. She said, uh, Fox is an iconic group project to which they all iconically contribute. No one can explain what the job is, really, only what it looks like. Shuttling between show and social event, posting the candidates Fox looks best in. And that is also like a real look at uh, celebrity and like different versions of celebrity. Um, you know, Julia Fox... The on Valentine's Day opened the Laquan Smith fashion show at New York Fashion Week just as the breakup was being reported. You know, she's maybe working on something with Anna Delvey, like inventing Anna Anna. Like she knows her, of course. They ran around in the same scene. She knows Kat Marnell. Like she's kind of been in talks to play Debbie Mazar in the Madonna biopic that I don't actually think is ever going to happen but I could totally actually see her in that role she was really good in uncut gems like gems um she was great in it I really enjoyed her in it so you know it's like I think it's coming up just how Julia Fox would like it to come up right now and at least she's self-aware of that and not pretending like it was something that it wasn't um, I also will say we do share what seems to be a deep love of the restaurant Lucienne, um, where I too used to eat a lot of steak and smoke many cigarettes, though you were allowed to smoke cigarettes there when I was first hanging out there. Um, so again, yeah, there that's, it's on New York mag and definitely subscribe to Hunter's newsletter. It's so great and so funny. She makes me laugh so hard. Another story I read this week that, I really, really loved was the new Stevie Nicks profile in The New Yorker by Tavi Gevinson. Um, Of course I loved it. It's Stevie. As I said, it was just what I needed. It was like a heaping dose of Stevie magic coming at me. Like she is just, oh God, she's the best. And Tavi did a great job with this piece and they, they know each other like dating back to Tavi's um, teen years when she was doing Rookie, which, you know, was a phenomenon and brilliant in many ways. Um, But here's a few things that I, nuggets that I took from my girl Stevie. You know, she was talking about like inspiration coming from anywhere. And like she said, quote, you just want to say to people exactly that. Just open up so that if you do drive under that sign that says Silver Spring, I had never seen that sign before, nor had I ever heard of Silver Spring, Maryland or wherever it is. And as my head passed under that sign, I just went, okay, note. Silver Spring. And I just immediately went went and wrote that song. So you just have to like be open to the inspiration. Then there was this quote. You know, I go in and out of reading. When I have a little bit of time to myself, my Zen time at night after a show, I slice a plate of apples and I sit on my bed with as many favorite fashion magazines as I can find. I'm just a fashion magazine hag and I used to have just have thousands of tear sheets. But now I have my little, now that I have my little iPhone, I'm taking pictures. So my camera is filled with what would have been my tear out sheets, but it can be like four in the morning and I'll be like, "Hmm, let's see, you have to wake up at 1130. And then I kind of go, why would I want to be asleep right now? This is the best time of my entire day. Oh, I love her so much. I feel so connected to her. Um, And then there was this bit where she says, quote, people get knocked down because of their fame and the internet and all the things that I hate. You keep yourself above that, hopefully. I always think of Katy Perry and I having this long talk at the Corinthia Hotel in London and once, 
in London once, and she said to me, this is probably 10 years ago, she said, so Stevie, who are your rivals? And I said, I don't have rivals. And her big blue eyes got bigger and bluer, and I said, no, Katie, I don't, and neither do you. You are Katy Perry. You're who you are. You do what you do, and you're great at it. I'm Stevie Nicks. I do what I do, and I'm great at it. We don't have rivals. That's just ridiculous. And she said, well, there's like the Taylor Swift army and there's like the Katie army and there's like, and I was like, that's just bullshit. You have to just walk away from that. Don't carry that around in your mind because then they're winning this game. And I love that. And I think that's so true. And that's like, that's like stand culture and whatever. But I think just for anyone though, you're like, I'm me. I do what I do. I'm good at what I do. And there's no rivals. You just do your thing. You just stay on your path and like do your thing. And that's it. And if Stevie thinks that, we can all think that and do that. Um, She's got some really great stories about Prince in there. Um, I love when she talks about her relationship with Prince, like their musical relationship, you know, and like things they, you know, recorded together and whatever. And she has like some regrets about not seeing him before. He died and, and uh, just, can you imagine like hanging out in a studio with Prince and Stevie Nicks? Like I'd fucking die. Um, but then, you know, she talks about like when you get down and whatever, and she says, this is a quote, it's like, just remember time passes when you're really in a hole, go talk to somebody now because it's just going to get worse, you know, and do some fun things, do something that really makes you happy or go out and rent some great movies that you've always wanted to see like storks. (laughs) It's my favorite movie. (laughs) I've watched it six times and it's just so great. Have you seen it? It's the sweetest movie. It's about the storks going out of business and they become like FedEx and they only deliver packages, no more babies. And they accidentally push the wrong button and one baby comes through. There's the little star of the whole movie. The storks are her only friends. You just have to buy this movie and have it on replay at all times. It's a cartoon, but it's a massive movie of life and love and sadness and tragedy. That's my answer to depression. Storks. Obviously, I'm going to have to watch fucking storks this weekend. Um, she also talks about her fashion and like her kind of unicorn uniform, which is low key, like my uniform. And so many, you know, of us have adopted a version of that. That's, you know, our own. And then, and then also, and also like symbols and seeing signs from people that are not here anymore. Like her mom, who went after her mom died in 2011. And when she feels people like walking beside her, like Prince or Tom Petty, Anyway, it's it's like quite magical in the way that Stevie is always magical. So highly recommend that. That's in The New Yorker. And then I'm going to come back in a minute with some things I've been watching. Okay, so what have I been watching lately other than the Super Bowl? This weekend, I watched all of Inventing Anna. I have a lot to fucking say about Inventing Anna. Um, I am going to save that, though. I have a guest that I am going to record with very shortly, and we're going to talk about that. And maybe some of the other scam shows, like uh, The Tinder Swindler, which is a real tongue-tie situation. Uh, And I also watched The Puppet Master. So we'll get into all of those. I will say that I wish Inventing Anna was better. 
and there were some things I liked, but we'll get to that. Some things I really enjoy. I am enjoying the after party on Apple TV Plus, which has like Dave Franco, Alana Glazer, Zoe Chow, Ike Barinholtz, John Early, Tiffany Haddish, like this whole crew of people that I find very funny. Um, it's about a high school reunion and um, someone dies and Tiffany Haddish and John Early come in to like investigate the murder and you kind of get like different POVs in each episode of the different characters and kind of you flash back to parts of like high school and then like maybe my, why they might have a motive to kill this guy Xavier who's Dave Franco's character who's become like a YouTube singing star turned pop star super funny and obnoxious um and like why anyone might want to you know kill him um so yeah each episode you kind of get like a different character's um pov and it's fun it's uh it's funny it's fun i'm really enjoying it the whole season isn't out yet but i think there's like five or six episodes out so far great highly recommend that one and I think we need to talk about The Gilded Age a little bit. Okay, are you guys watching The Gilded Age on HBO? It's from Julian Fellows, who has brought us Downton Abbey. And what I will say is I got super into Downton Abbey when it first started. I was hype on it like everyone else. I was like, this is amazing, da-da-da. And then I eventually fell off and didn't really finish Downton Abbey. Though... I did watch the movie and I felt very happy to like have the movie back. And I kind of, I think, watched like the very end of the show or maybe I just like read about what happened. So I was caught up, but I definitely fell off. So the Gilded Age is is like Downton Abbey, but like make it America. You know, we're set in like the Gilded Age in New York um, with like very rich families and then you have kind of like an upstairs downstairs situation with the Van Ryan family, which is Christine Baranski and Cynthia Nixon. And then their niece who is played by Louisa Jacobson, who actually her last name is really Gummer, which makes her like the third Gummer daughter. And the Gummer's mom is Meryl Streep. It's her kids with her husband, Don Gummer, who she's been with forever. I love that. She looks like one of the Gummer sisters, she, I don't know if she's a good actress, you guys. I'm very unconvinced about her talents. Her character kind of sucks too, but I don't think she's very good. Um, We'll see. The show is still developing. Again, I think we've had four or five episodes. There's This cast is chock full of like iconic New York actors. Um, A lot of theater people they shot like when Broadway was dark during the pandemic. So I think a lot of people were available. Um, But the crux of the show, you've got kind of like the old money, it's old money versus new money. And it's very like clear that it's old money versus new money. Like, I mean, they all practically say things like we are old money and we think this way and you are new money and you think that way, which is kind of one of my issues with the show. It's like very heavy handed thematically. And then you have like the Russells are the new money. And that's um, Carrie Coon and I am 
absolutely blanking on the guy who plays her husband, George, who I'm hot for. But I love Carrie Coon in most things. She's great. I, her costumes are incredible. She has the best dresses. You know, they've built this big new mansion and everyone thinks it's gaudy, da da da. Like they're kind of like the robber barons, like the Vanderbilts of it all, which is so funny because you think of like them as like old money now, but like the, you know, in the time period. Um, you know, they have the most compelling storyline to me. They also are like actually like hot for each other as a couple and he seems to have like a ton of respect for her and um Tyisa Farmiga is like their daughter who hasn't had like her debutante like coming out yet because you know the mom wants to be properly accepted into society. Da da da. They are the most compelling to me. Christine Baranski is great. I mean, when is Christine Baranski not great? But and I guess she's kind of like the Maggie Smith of this ensemble. But again, everything feels like it's like hitting me over the head on this show. Cynthia Nixon is like the spinster sister and she is acting like a hysterical woman again, like in the way that like Miranda was so hysterical about things sometimes on, and just like that. And and this time at least it fits the character, but not loving it. But I am like watching this show every week. I keep watching. So there's that, you know, there's like, the the maid at the Russell's house is trying to sleep with, you know, the man of the house. There's, you know, there's some mild romance in the, you know, with the the people who work for the Van Ryan sisters. There is um, Marion, the Louisa Jacobson character. She basically like she's the daughter of their brother who kind of like wasted the family fortune or whatever fortune there was. So to the point that Christine Baranski had to like marry someone wealthy to like make sure the family was taken care of. And then, you know, she the she's now widowed and, you know, Cynthia Nixon's Ada lives with her. And then the niece comes after her dad dies. So she's got nothing. The aunts have taken her in or trying to kind of show her society. She's like the newbie rube who's like, I don't understand why you wouldn't like these people. I mean, like kind of an audience avatar. And she meets this young woman, Peggy, on the train who helps her, who's a young black woman, um, who then starts to work for her aunt and live in the house. Um, She has something going, you know, you kind of get like, oh, why isn't she going to see her parents in Brooklyn and da da da. You know, Marion makes some assumptions about Peggy's family that are very like white lady assumptions then white lady assumptions now about like where Peggy comes from and they are not necessarily true and make for some cringe moments but I don't know are you guys watching what do you think some people really enjoy it and find it like very relaxing and I can kind of understand that I just like wish it was better like it's got all this talent and they have this HBO budget so it like looks very cool and I love seeing like old New York and all of that but I'm just like you know, it's like not as good as it should be. Um, on the absolute other end of the spectrum of current New York, you've got uh, we've got Summer House back in our lives on Bravo. And this show is giving us so much already. I am loving it. We are in that very sweet spot of sliver of summer 2021 when we were post-vax and pre-Delta, 
and things felt kind of free. Like last season on the show, I was glad we even had it, but they they like never left the house. You know, basically they never went back and forth from the city. They stayed in the house the whole time. They couldn't really hang out with other people. Understandable. Get it. And it was still fun to watch. But this, you know, you I love about summer houses. You're going back and forth from the city to the Hamptons on the weekend. And then, so you get these little slices of their New York City life because like most of these people have actual jobs. And, you know, we've got some new people in the house, a very boring buff guy who I can't with. I think his name is Alex. Like I have a mental block on like learning his name. And then we've got Andrea, the Italian guy who we know from Winter House. And I, I think he's he's good for the mix. Um, we've got our classics, you know, we've got Kyle, we've got Amanda, we've got Lindsay. Lindsay is on a rampage, like wants to just hook up with everyone this summer into it. She also was really open about a miscarriage she had. Like this show's giving us a little, a lot of fun, a lot of light, but like some seriousness too. Like this week's episode, in, in terms of Bravo conversations about race on one of their shows, that was pretty, pretty great vague you know kind of nuanced because Sierra was on the show last year she was also on Winter House she is a black woman and then they have another woman named Maya another black woman um, who is new this season and they you know they had had some conversations with each other about how they feel like outsiders not only in the house but in the Hamptons which is so predominantly white and then they have a conversation with their housemates that you know, was, uh, I I think, like, productive and was really honest of them to be so uh, forthright about how they were feeling. But I think the roommates reacted in a way that was much better than we've seen on uh, Real Housewives or or anything like that. And, like, the Vanderpump kids could never, not that they have any real diversity on that show, but, you know, I was was like, this is great. And um, I was glad they had the conversation. But, uh, you know, back to the more ridiculous and silly elements of the show, you know, Paige is playing games with Southern Charm Craig and Italian Andrea. And I don't think that's good for anyone involved, but it's great for us as viewers. I mean, we've got Kristen Cavallari inserted into this show, but she's not even on the show because Craig is banging her every time he's in Nashville, which is making Paige mad, even though they're not exclusive. And she's totally like stringing along this other guy, too. Even though I know that Paige and Craig kind of end up together, I don't care. I love watching it. We know that Amanda and Kyle did get married. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if that was the best idea, but I'm still watching them be idiots together. I mean, Kyle, we got to pull it together at some point, buddy. Um, so I just thank you to this show. And if you don't watch Summer House, like you could just go back to the beginning and watch. It really comes into its own like a couple seasons in, but... What an enjoyable ride. Like, it really, it's, it's, Vanderpump is dead. Long live summer rules. Summer rules. Summer house. Vanderpump rules is dead. Long live summer house. I can't even talk. You know what? I, I said I didn't have a lot of fun watching Inventing Anna, but what I did have a lot of fun watching, Marry Me, the rom-com starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. You guys, is this movie good? I d- no. N- no. 
do J-Lo and Owen Wilson have great chemistry? They don't. They don't at all. But somehow like Jen's charms just and glow and they just pull you through along with like some great side characters, some precocious children in a math tournament, some corny ass songs that totally work for the movie. You've got nods to Notting Hill. I mean, J-Lo, there's an opening number and an outfit for this song. I don't know if it's called Church, but it seems like it should be called Church. That is just like both papal and meaning like related to the Pope in some way. And also like just very revealing. Um, Like again, J-Lo did the whole soundtrack for the movie and because she plays like a pop star in the film. Um, I bought in. I totally bought in. Is it the best rom-com? No, not at at all. Not at all, but very enjoyable. You can stream it on Peacock. I, I, I had a fun time. I enjoyed myself. So... I don't care what anyone else thinks. I was kind of delighted by it. And I love a rom-com and I love a JLo rom-com and I don't even care if they're really that good, but uh, you know, she looks amazing. Cause she's also like playing like a, and there's some self, there's some like self winking, you know, with spawn con and, and not doing anything for yourself, whatever. It just really worked for me. It really worked for me. Now, in the J-Lo verse, obviously, we now have Ben Affleck back in that in that world. You know, they were at the Super Bowl, as I said, like Ben was awkward dancing. But, you know, before he was reunited with Jennifer, as we know, uh, Ben spent the early part of the pandemic taking awkward walks with his then girlfriend, Ana de Armas. And they had met filming this movie called Deep Water. That is like a psychosexual thriller of the kind that I love, like 90s style. I mean, Adrian Lyne was the director, like famous for all of those movies, like whatever, you know. And then I'm obsessed with the trajectory of this movie because it was going to be, you know, this like big theatrical release. And like then obviously the pandemic has shifted a million things about that. But then it was still on the docket to get released in like January, which is kind of can sometimes be like a dumping ground for films in the theater. And then it got like, it was on the slate and then it got pulled at the last minute. And then they were like, it was like, is it going to be anywhere? And then they like sold the streaming rights to Hulu. And now we got a teaser trailer and a date of March 18th. So what I'm obsessed with is I want the oral history of everything involved with this movie because there were definitely reshoots and then, you know, this relationship imploded. And it was like, it was like they were playing this relationship for so much publicity. I'm not saying they didn't actually date or fuck or whatever, but like those walks were, I mean, it was a lot, you know, it was a lot. And then all these things that have happened and it's like, you know, there's rumors that they don't speak to each other and whatever. And it's like, fine, you could have promoted, like the people have hated each other and promoted movies before. I mean, there's literally a rom-com about it with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Julie Roberts and John Cusack. But, you know, you can keep people away from each other and promote a movie. So that's not like why something's going to get pulled. So then I'm like, is this so bad? Like, is it, you know, like, I don't understand. And why did they decide so late to change everything? I'm just obsessed. So then we get this teaser trailer this week with the date and 
it's <laughs> they're like laying and it's like something's wrong with me da, da, da. but then she's also like deaf it's like you know sexy but you don't see anything but she's like deaf giving ben like a handy in the trailer because it, again it's like going to be this like sexual thriller which uh, one of my favorite genres so i'm just i like cannot wait to see this movie like how sexy is it like what are we going to see was it too hot for the like i don't know but it's on hulu yeah i don't know but i can't wait march 18th deep water so excited. And again, if anyone has any information about what went on with this movie, please tell me. I am dying to know. I will keep it in the Scorpio vault if necessary. Um, But like literally cannot get, I will be watching it on March 18th or Hulu if you would like to give me uh, a screener. I would happily watch it. So that's what I've been up to. I think that's enough of me rambling for the week. I will be back next week with a guest. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Timothy Griggs and everyone at Speak Studio for helping to produce the show. If you have any interest in sponsorship opportunities, we've got a lot of cool stuff to offer. You can email. We have notes at speakstudiopodcasting.com or you can DM me or email me anytime. Uh, You can follow me at Abby C. Gardner on Instagram, at Abby Gardner on Twitter, also at we have notes on Instagram at we have notes on TikTok. Sign up for the newsletter. It's we have notes.substack.com. That comes out on Fridays. That is free. And until next week, finish inventing Anna so we can talk about it together. And don't open any lines of credit for anyone. Just don't do that. Like, what are we doing? What are and what are we doing? Do people do this? It doesn't make any sense to me. We'll get into it further. Uh, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>